If you will please turn with me in the scriptures to the uh, third chapter of Genesis, and you will find this, let's see, I think it's on, it's on page five of your Bible, it's a different page in mine, but we won't, we won't go into that. Um, okay, it's, um, so we're going to begin reading then with verse three uh, through verse 13. Hear then the reading of God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Dear people of God, it is fitting that we're here in this house of worship on the very last day of the year 2023, and we anticipate that God is going to give us an opportunity and many opportunities in this coming year ahead of us. But there are also people in this world who have an entirely different mindset than that. And we want to discover that a little bit initially. Uh, on the slide, if you could please put up the slide that you have. All right. Now, now I'm not a jeweler, but I can tell you some obvious things about this. Now, this is a watch, and you can see from the hands that are on the watch that it is circular. And it also has a day-date function, so no one can accuse you of not knowing what day it is. Now, the thing about this watch is that every 12 hours, it's going to return to the same position. There is 10 a.m., there is 10 p.m. So many people think that time is circular, that what we experience today is going to be an ongoing thing of what we're going to experience tomorrow, and that things go on 
and we don't have to worry about things changing on us. So that's one way of looking at time. Now there's a German theologian by the name of Helmut Thielicke who wrote a book, Christ and the Meaning of Life. Now he points out in this book that there's also another aspect to time. Now if you would please show the other sign. All right, now you'll notice that what we have here is called a linear timeline. All right, now you can see here the countdown here's 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, and 2024. So this is linear. And so the point that Helmut Thielicke is making in his book is that many people think that time is circular, not necessarily linear, but it's especially at this time of year when some people who are, who are afraid of the unknown, they're afraid that instead of being circular, that time is actually linear and that they're not going to have the opportunity to have the first start that they thought that they might have but instead, there's a different viewpoint there. It is disquieting to some people to come into the presence of that which they know to be holy. And that, of course, is our experience as well, because we know who we are, and we know who God is. God is the one who is exalted, who is mighty, who is high, who is far and away removed from us. But because of that fact, it does not mean that he does not sympathize with us and he does not have empathy with us. He does. So if we take a look at this, we want to see that time to some people is circular, but to other people it is linear, and that oftentimes explains why it is that people do what they do at this time of year. Parties often become very raucous, very loud, there is also the oftentimes the free-flowing of alcohol, and people like to kind of drown out what went wrong or what is going wrong in their lives, and they like to kind of put distance between them and between God. Now that is exactly what Adam and Eve are doing here in our text. Adam and Eve are being asked a very pointed question by God. They're being asked, where are you? Now you might ask, God knows everything, we know he does, and God is not surprised by anything either. So you would ask yourselves, well now why would God ask that question? Why would he ask the question, where are you? Well, God wants Adam and Eve to do some probing. He wants them to do some examining of their own lives. Now, that's the same thing that God expects of us. God expects of us to ask that question, and of course it's a question that each one of us asks ourselves and, and answers, where are you? Now, God knows where we are, but we have to know where we are. Now, notice what happens with an unbeliever. An unbeliever is terrified by anything or anyone that is holy. You have no better example of this than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought themselves to be righteous, thought themselves to be holy, they took a look at Jesus, and their immediate impact with him is they showed a resentment. This Christ figure was a petty annoyance to them. And then as they went further, 
it moved from that level of being a petty annoyance to being a smoldering rage. And it went from being a smoldering rage to a place where they exploded in vehement demands for his death. They said, he is a blasphemer, he is untruthful, let's put him away and he has to go. Now, even today, there's a reaction among people who perceive someone who they think is holy and they don't know how to deal with that. Holiness oftentimes promotes hatred. The scripture says that the wicked flee when man pursues. Martin Luther stated it this way. He says, the pagan trembles at the rustling of a leaf. In other words, that's Luther's way of saying that someone who is estranged from God, someone who knows nothing about the holiness of God and doesn't want to know anything about the holiness of God, they rustle like that leaf. The thing about it is that Jesus Christ was one of the most loving people and is one of the most who ever existed. Now to point this out for you, we have a little imagery from golf. A number of years ago, there was uh, one of the leading pros who had the opportunity to play golf with uh, Jack Nicklaus, who would want to play with him, and also with Billy Graham. And so he thought that this would be the opportunity of a lifetime. He gets to play with the big boys. And so during the round, um, he thought, well, this would be interesting. But when the round was over, he was visibly annoyed. The veins on his neck were sticking out. His face was crimson red. And one of his fellow pros came up to him and said, well, what happened out there? Was Billy a little bit difficult on you? And he said, I don't need Billy Graham forcing religion down my throat. And so this pro went over to the practice tee and he started beating out balls on the practice tee like mad. And slowly he began to calm down. The veins on his neck returned to their normal place and the redness on his face dissipated. And so another pro who had followed him over this said, well, was Billy really rough on you out there? Did he make you uncomfortable? Did he ask you questions you weren't comfortable with? And he said, no. He said, I just had a bad round. Now, this is astonishing. Billy Graham hadn't said a word to him about God, against, about religion, and yet he had accused Billy Graham of forcing religion down his throat. Now, Graham didn't have to say a word. He didn't have to give a single glance to make him uncomfortable. Billy Graham made him uncomfortable just by his real presence. Now, the reaction of that golf pro to Billy Graham was similar to the reaction of Peter to Jesus Christ. He said to Jesus Christ, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Both felt the trauma of the presence of the holy. And holiness does promote hatred. The greater the holiness, the greater the hostility. It seems insane. No person was more loving than the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is more kind than the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, his love was a perfect love. It was a transcendent and a holy love. But his very love brought trauma to people. And so, 
there were, per, there were people who couldn't stand it. They couldn't abide it. Now, this is an example of unbelievers fleeing God's presence, but how do, what are we to make of Adam and Eve? Adam made, even though the terminology is there to say that they were believers in Jesus Christ, they were definitely God's children, they belonged to God. And so what do we deal with this? How do we deal with it? Even believers sometimes try to hide from God if they know they've been messing up. And who messes up? We all do. I do. Everyone else does. It's an unavoidable fact of being human that we are going to mess up. But it wasn't long before Adam and Eve, they had had, notice this beautiful relationship with God. Notice how it, it talks about it. It says that when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he, walk, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, notice this close relationship between Adam and Eve and between God. They had a relationship with him. They walked with him in the garden. They had a great deal of sympathy for him. They loved him. They, they, they wanted to be as close to him as is humanly possible. But notice something has happened. Something has happened in this dynamic, in this relationship, so that now instead of seeking God out, instead of saying, we want to be close to God, we want you to be with us. We want you to dwell with us. All of a sudden, what do they do? Now they're hiding. They, 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 they realize their condition. They realize that they're naked, and so they, they sow leaves for themselves. But most of all, they're hiding from God. Now, this phrase, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, well, this gives us in, in human language, an understanding of who God is. God is their intimate companion. He walks in the cool of the garden so that they can have fellowship with him, so that they can have communion with him. And yet, something has happened here. God knows what they've done, just like God knows what we have done. There is a, an innate sense of guilt. They feel guilty because of what they've done. They know that there is now a brokenness in that relationship that they had formerly experienced with God, and they were afraid of God's presence. Again, that whole idea that there is a natural revulsion to anyone who is holy, and who is more holy than God himself. So that's what prompted the question from God, where are you? Now, we are on the verge of a new year. We're on the verge of 2024. We know what's gone on in 2023, and so there's some good things there. There are a lot of things that we wish wouldn't have happened have happened. And so we're looking forward to this new year of 2024. And so God is asking us the same question. Where are you? Where are you in respect to the Lord God? What do you want the relationship to be between you and the Lord God? Now, what are some of the reasons why people would want to flee from the Lord God? Well, as we ponder this question, where are you? Perhaps there is unconfessed sin in your life, and that's bringing a bridge between you and God. 
Um, notice what happens here in Scripture. David confesses this. David looks at this. He knows there is unconfessed sin in his own life. And if you take a look at a couple of the penitential psalms, these are psalms where uh, David is repenting. Uh, first of all, if you take a look at Psalm 32, verse 3, if you happen to have your Bibles open, and when you have them open, also open it up to Psalm 51, verse 12. Now, in Psalm 32, verse 3, David says this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. And then David confesses his sin to the Lord, and, and he has a new relationship again. And then also, if you read in Psalm 51, verse 12, David has been convicted by Nathan the prophet of his sin with Bathsheba. And so notice what David is asking for here. David doesn't say, return my salvation to me. He hadn't lost his salvation, but he says, return to me the joy of my salvation. And then after that was repeated, after that was given to him, after he made that confession, then David's relationship to the Lord was restored once again. So that's one thing that can drive us away from Christ away from our Lord, the fact of having unconfessed sin in our lives. Perhaps there are developments within your family that prohibit that close relationship, you know? Are you treating your wife right? Husbands, are you treating your husbands well? Are you treating your children well? Because if there are problems there, that's going to hinder our relationship with God the Father. Now, all of this is to say that unconfessed sin will cause us to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. It will cause us to say, let's get as far away from God as we possibly can, and let's retreat, because his holiness is too much for us to withstand. Let's retreat. Let us pray, and let us hope that in this new year that is ahead of you, that you don't have that unconfessed sin so that you can face God, not in a perfect way, but you can face him knowing that he is your heavenly father, that he cares for you, that he understands what your difficulties are. So rather than fleeing God, it is to be our response that we welcome God's presence. Now, how do you do that? Well, look for a moment in Hebrews 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14 tells us, Pursue peace with all men, for without it and the sanctification, no one will see the Lord. It's very clear, it's very straightforward. He says, without that holiness, without that desire for God, no one is going to see the Lord. Without that holiness. Now, why are you to pursue holiness? What kind of a person would you call holy? Well, let's take a look at a couple of examples. Now, if we want to talk about knowledge, Balaam had knowledge, yet Balaam was not righteous. If we want to take a look at another example, consider Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot had a profession of faith, but yet it was a mistaken profession of faith. What about respectability? 
Well, the rich young ruler certainly had respectability. He had a good reputation among the people in, in the town, had a good re reputation with others. And so when he approaches Christ, and Christ tells him in response to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Christ says, well, keep the commandments. So the rich young ruler says, that's not a problem because I have kept all those commandments perfectly from the time of my birth. No problem. And yet there was a problem because the rich young ruler really hadn't kept all the commandments. And so he went away in sorrow. So those are examples of what holiness is not. But holiness be, means having the mind of God. Having the mind of God. Not, not that we become God, not that we have the holiness of God, but we become in tune with God. It means that you love what God loves and that you hate what God hates. Now, if you were to pause and be holiness in, in your walk before God, it means that you're going to be aware of God's presence, and it means that rather than fleeing from his presence, it means that you're going to welcome his presence. It's going to say, God, I want to be with you. I want you to unfold me. I want you to be present in my life. I want you to be there to help me when I fall. You know, there's an illustration that's often used, and there's a picture of it, and it, it shows footprints in the sand. And for a little ways on, on that beach, it shows that there are two sets of footprints, all right? And yet there are other times on that same beach where there's only one set of footprints. And so the person who is hurting and who is calling for God says, well, you promised that you would always be there for me, and yet why is it that there were times on that beach that I only saw one set of footprints? You know what the answer was? He says, because, my child, when you were too weak, when you were too overburdened with your own sins, I carried you. That's what it is to trust in God, to know that he carries you through the difficulties. If you are to pursue holiness, it means that you must be spiritually minded. Now notice what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that you should be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You know, that, that, that's one of the classical definitions of a Christian. They say, well, these people are so concerned about heaven that they're no earthly good. Now, that's not the way that we should go. We're Reformed Christians. We believe fully that we have a responsibility to further Christ's church and Christ's kingdom here on this earth. So yes, we pursue holiness, but at the same time, we also say, what do we need to be doing right here, right now, to further Christ's church and to further Christ's kingdom? That's all part of that question, where are you? So we have to have our treasure in heaven. It's not on earth, but it also means that we... Don't take too seriously certain things. I mean, if someone becomes overly concerned with their IRA, you know, stock markets rise, stock markets fall. There, there are bear markets and there are bull markets. So your confidence can't be wrapped up in what the stock market is doing. There are also 
times when you feel your fellowship with God is maybe waning a little bit. And so why is that so important? The where are you question. You must be holy because, again, going back to what we were talking about in, in Hebrews 12, you must be holy because God demands it. He doesn't say it's simply a good idea, but he says, you must be holy even as I am holy. Now, you must be holy also because we're in an earth that is sin-cursed. We can't get away from it, and we also have to accept the fact that because of the problem of indwelling sin, that even the things that we do, even though they are good and of themselves, are still not perfectly holy because there's always an aspect of sin involved with it. So you must be holy, and the only evidence that, that you are is that, that you have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. True faith will always show itself by its fruits. It will sanctify you. It will purify your heart. And so what is going to be our response when we are faced with this question as we face 2024? Where are you? Well, where do you stand before the Lord this very day? We are to come before the Lord with gladness. We're to come before him with confidence, knowing that he will hear us. That's why he called out the question to Adam and Eve. Where are you? That's also a question that is very worthwhile for us to pursue on this day. Where are you? Do you stand before the Lord, acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior? Do you say that he is the one who brings joy and happiness to me? Because you're not going to get it from the world and the accolades of the world, but you're going to get it from him. You're going to get it from pursuing his church, pursuing his kingdom. This lack of holiness is going to make for problems between us and the Lord, just as it did for Adam and Eve. But now in this new year ahead of us, God is giving us a new year. He's giving us new opportunities. And let us pray that as we ponder that question for ourselves, where are you? We're going to say that we accept these responsibilities that God is going to give us. We're looking forward to them. We anticipate them. We're glad that he's there. We're glad that they're there. But let's make sure that we take advantage of those opportunities. With the advent of this new year, stop and ask yourself several basic questions. Is there someone that you should speak an encouraging word to? Is there someone you need to talk to? Is there someone that you need to make a telephone call to? Is there someone that you need to visit? Seek out God's presence. Be happy. Be grateful. Be exuberant that you're in God's presence for yet another year. And so as we ponder that question, where are you? We think of this, and we're so thankful that we're encompassed in, in God's loving arms. So, amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask that you will help us in our walk before you, that you will ever be before us, and that you will continue to lead us and guide us in this year that is ahead of us.
so that when it's asked of us, where are you? We can say that we are the Lord's, we belong to the Lord, and that we trust in the Lord in all things. In his gracious name do we pray, amen.